never had a back-to-back guest before but we have clyde peterson in the house hey clyde thank you for coming back i really appreciate that yeah thanks for having me there was probably so much demand you know it was i mean things were blowing up um (laughs) no it's really cool you know last uh last month of course we had a show that focused on lgbtq um uh, musicians in our community and you were one of the round table and really, uh, really, I mean, everybody was great, but you were really a voice of reason, but we certainly didn't need to, uh, didn't need, didn't get to get into your, your art career, um, which spans every kind of art. I mean, I got to be honest with you, Clyde, Doug and I have been doing this in two more shows. We'll start our sixth season and this show might have been one of the kind of like most intimidating to start with because you just have such a, a wide breadth of things that you're involved with and that you do that there was, I, I finally realized there didn't need to be a narrative to the show. There didn't need to be like a plan. It just needed to be, let's sit down and talk and it was going to be fine. That sounds pretty good. So... You're, you're a co-host. Great. Fabulous. <laughs> so you are here. Let's uh, look. First, you are um, a new resident to Anacortes, Guimas, officially. Yeah, it's fantastic. I love it so much. So beautiful. Have you ever lived up here? I mean, I know you have been around. and I've tried to live here many times. I've come up and look at rent. I've looked at rental houses so many times in a row and just never really panned out, but it yeah. takes out global pandemic to really make me follow my dreams. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're certainly, uh, you know, we're certainly glad to have you. And, um, you know, we have a whole lot of affordable housing, so I'm shocked that you couldn't just find stuff all the time. That's <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't like a, you know, you know, it w- it was less about, about the housing and more about like, uh, being able to like sustain myself and my art and touring a lot and, you know, kind of trying to find the balance. So I spent a long time living in Seattle and just kind of building that stuff up so that I could eventually leave town and just keep it going from, from afar. Right. Which seemed right. like, which was like challenging in the long term, but it seems like to have paid off, you know, in this way. Yeah. Well, I guess, I guess it definitely did. It's well, I'm happy to have you here. We're all, as a community, we're happy to have you here. It's kind of lame that, as you say, with the pandemic, I guess the, you know, normally we would literally be having our Amp Fest this weekend, 
which you would know. have been, you know, a major part of, and and it would have been fun to throw that at people who, you know, might not know your music as well or whatever. But next year, yeah, I was just spending a good part of my day today making jokes about bumper shoot because this is the time of year when traditionally residents of Washington state make uh, jokes about how bumper shoot used to be free or, you know, complain about the lineup, complain about how they never heard of any of the headlining bands. So, <laughs> just having a good time on Facebook talking about that. You got to yeah. keep the tradition alive, even if the festival isn't gone, you know? That's right. I actually watched a video with my youngest son, Thurston, who's now 14. And at the time he might've been six. And there's a video somewhere on YouTube with, uh, when Carl was doing a, you know, one of his shows there and um, Thurston was just young enough to be one of those little kids who comes up and just stares adoringly and talks to you and, you know, doesn't realize that this show, not that you can't be how you are in any show and certainly Carl was, but, you know, that it wasn't the same as a show in the back of the business. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, awesome. So check it out. Let's... Uh, Let's start with uh, a song. K. Doug Cassidy, if you do not mind, sir, would you play My Side of the Mountain? And, um, well, we'll talk about it, and we'll talk about the project it came from and such when we, when we get back. We're going to hear a few tunes off that record tonight. And, uh, but the name of it, the project, is... Drone Butch Blues. Yep. And one thing to know, and you can fill this in a little bit before Doug starts it, but <laughs> we were just kind of talking about this, is that this single actually didn't make the record, but it was part of the recording process. You want to talk about that for a moment? Yeah, this, this is one of the songs that we had originally written for the record. Um, and in the end, it just like, didn't feel like it fit in as well. It was like the... <laughs> The whole record turned out to be this very like drone, droney folk record, and uh, each track had like an element of drone on it somehow. Uh, but this particular song didn't really end up having that very much, and just felt like a really traditional folk song. So we ended up uh, cutting it and just keeping it for the future. And yeah, it's like uh, a song about three generations of um, my family and where they lived uh, in Idaho and then in Index, Washington. And uh, now on the West Coast. All right. All right. We're going to hear it. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about this project. I think we might be having our usual just start of the show technical uh -oh. difficulties. I can't quite tell. Doug's shaking his head. He doesn't like a, it. Yeah, I've got a frozen <laughs> Doug Cassidy on one. <laughs> On one area. I'm sorry. What's the name of the song? Oh, My called, side of the mountain. I don't have that You're, on Joan Butch Blues. Oh, it's it's a single. It's not on that album, but I did it, send it in. It's one of the ones Clyde sent to us. It's like number seven or eight on that list. Do you know? Okay, here it is. Extra what about track? do you have the parties over? Is it an extra Which track? Is, this My side. Yeah, of the extra track. Yeah, there that's it. Go. Okay, here you go. Whistle Stop Cafe in downtown Sandpoint, Idaho 
H.O. model trains encased in glass top diner tables. Early 80s Volkswagens, the hippies always drove. Out to my grandparents' farm that lived just outside of Hope. Their side of the mountain with its view of pond array. A warning shot cracks through the air, a black bear runs away. Highway to the Cascade Range, all covered up with snow. A cozy cabin out in Index, my parents stoked the old wood stove. Lake Serene and Bridal Falls, the steep and rugged trail. Glacial water all year long, they're young, they are in love. Their side of the mountain is peaceful for a time. South Fork the Sky Conish Sit and watch the trains go by Are we back? Yeah, that was my bad, everyone. Sorry about that. It happens. Thank you, K-Doug. Without you, you know, come on. Without me, we might have got that song played all the way through. (laughs) We'll come back to it. (laughs) All right. So, Drone Butch Blues. We're going to hear a couple more tracks off that record here in just a second. Um, But I want, I'd like you to talk about this record a little bit because, um, I guess I'm picking up a little bit from last show and, you know, this entire show is not going to be all about your, uh, you know, your queer identity, but you make a very strong showing of who you are and what you do for the community and you build a lot for the community. And I think it's, it's a real statement about, you know, some of the themes and the history that you kind of work in here. And, um, yeah, so I'd like you to, to talk about it a little bit. Yeah, and for I, sure. I have one particular question to maybe get you started, but it, it, do you provide, am I keeping my, you have so many records, I want to make sure I'm keeping it right, but uh, you have a reading list that comes along with this record? Yeah, this, this record comes with a reading list. Uh, it was, this record was a kind of composed and written based on the reading of like 30 or 40 books. And so there's a reading list in the, in the, um, you know, insert on the record. And uh, it took about three years to write the whole record. It's not a very long record. It's probably 30, 33 minutes or something. And uh, we came up to Anacortis and recorded it with Nick and Carl. And it was such a pleasure. Um, we kind of have a tradition of recording your Heartbreaks records uh, right at the beginning of the new year. Studios are often not booked and are often freezing cold. So keeps <laughs> keeps us on our toes. Um, you could save up all year long and then get in there and get the best. Yeah. Rate. Yeah. Usually, uh, you know, the, that first week I like to come up like January 2nd and really kick off your Heartbreaks record right. So we did that for many years down, down at K Records and then we got 
you know, we're lucky enough to come up to the unknown and do that. So, um, but with Drone Butch Blues, Drone Butch Blues is a, is a pun off of a book called Stone Butch Blues, written by Leslie Feinberg. They just had their birthday the other day. Um, they're not alive anymore, but they were fantastic. Uh, and it's, each song is kind of like a different story about something taken from queer history, um, either from a written book, an oral history, or like personal history. And uh, yeah, kind of wanders all over. And then, and then there are a few like uh, other random moments. One of the songs is about like the Genevieve's memorial up here, um, and like losing friends and and stuff like that. So you know, it definitely like centers pretty heavily on like the passing of life and and death mm-hmm. and um, what that means to a community. So. Yeah, that's the basics of the record. When you were when you were deciding, well, look, you don't read thirty or forty books. Or I guess you could read them quickly, but what I mean is, like that that process sounds like you were reading, and then maybe the concept for the record started to sort of solidify. Is that yeah? Is that how it happened? Uh-huh. I was reading because I was like interested in certain artists or certain parts of history and I was just following the trail of those artists and of those history and reading their journals or books about them and through that I would like learn about new books and and get really inspired by them so yeah yeah Um, and 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 there's I mean these were uh, mostly queer artists or all queer artists that were you know, at a time even more difficult than our current time for to to be yeah. queer, I would certainly assume, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would say the project actually started like many years beforehand. I was at Scarecrow Video in Seattle, Washington. Uh, if y'all haven't been to Scarecrow, it's like the largest collection of media on the West Coast. And they have a queer film section. And it is a bizarre mishmash of VHS tapes that you'll never see on TV. You'll never find on the internet. And I, my roommate and I were like, Hey, let's try and watch all of these VHS tapes. Just as a, as a challenge. Just and to everyone. That is- yeah. <laughs> because like, you're just like, but I'm never going to see these things again. Someone, someone's got to watch these things. So we started watching them and we started, and we wrote a blog or a Tumblr. We made a Tumblr reviewing these tapes. And so many of them were so awful. Uh, but you know, it was, a, it was a fun experience. And so that, that kind of like made me excited about more history and more media that wasn't at the front and center of my attention and about following these long and winding roads to, um, strange, strange places. Yeah. So, um, well, first of all, just one thing I want to comment on. You mentioned that, uh, what's her first name? Feinberg? Oh, Leslie Feinberg, yeah. Leslie Feinberg, that her yeah. birthday was just a few days ago. And actually, yours was not so long ago either, right? It's true. I turned 40 years old this year. Congratulations. Welcome. Thank you. I'm just rolling down that hill. It was your birthday yeah. not too long ago either, I know. That's right. I just realized I said welcome, but I'm 50 <laughs> now, so I... I 
moved out of that, but you know, we're, we're close enough. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so the only other thing about drone butch blues that I was kind of, I guess, kind of curious about is that the, the songs are, well, I mean, it's a heavy subject, but they're kind of heavy, right? It, it's a, I guess it's a reflection of a statement maybe is really what I, what I mean more of what was happening, what you were trying to reflect. I, I guess I'm trying to get in there to get a little inside your head. I don't know if you think it out this way when you're writing a song. So maybe this is kind of going to be a little bit of also just about your creative process in general, mm-hmm. you know, but how does it, come about for you i mean some of your music that i've heard over the years i guess it just seems to me like the music comes and then you have a similarity super generally not like copied of the way in which your vocals lay on top of it and Mm -hmm. i'm curious if if that's how you do it, that you make the music first and then you come in with the lyrics or how, yeah. Why don't you talk about your process a little bit? I'll stop talking. For sure. Um, my process is that the words come first. Hmm. Uh, I usually read a book, get really excited about something, basically write a poem about it. And then I have the lyrics and then I sit down. Um, oftentimes I sit down with a bass guitar and hash out like the root notes um, and or a small keyboard and kind of just find like the, the basic stuff like that. And then I would say in general, the Your Heart Breaks process is actually t- to invite in 20 wonderful musicians. And what we do is just flush it out in the studio live. Gotcha. Okay. I, I don't really... Your, our Drumbridge Blues was the most composed for sure that I've ever gotten with something. Like I wrote demos and I sent them out to uh, like Carl and Nick and um, who else was up for that? God, there were so many people. We had Kelly Deal on the record. We had Adrian and Dylan from Earth. Um, Steve Moore. Gosh, just so many people. Uh so essentially though usually i would just like write write some demos and then mail them out to lake perhaps lake Mm -hmm. has lake has been the backing band for your heartbreaks many times i am so lucky to play music with them it's such a joy to like play with a group of people that is already a unit yeah and so yeah and then i I see Carl as really the the binding glue that like carries the thread of your heart of the sound of your heartbreaks through all of these twenty one years. Um, his production and his melodic lines are really like without him, the band sounds a lot different. Do you think that this was just the way this? project happened and so that's that or is this a little bit of a uh, you know a maturation of your artistic you know growth yeah I think this was like me challenging myself to sit down and really like put in the hours 
yeah. to actually think about it musically. And also I like was very specific about like the people that I wanted to come sing on it, like Kim Dawson or we flew up Kyle from Little Wings. Kind of was um an experience where I gathered all these people together who I had known for like twenty years and and was like I want to make this very special thing. Like, will help me do this? So, yeah. yeah. Oh man, that's yeah. so cool. Well, let's let's uh, give it the spotlight that it deserves for something like that. Then, and let's play a couple of the songs. We're gonna play uh, the party's over, and then we're gonna just go right into wanting to stay, and then we will come back. So here's some music for your listening pleasure. Was it the fever or the fear Or the way he held the floor Was it the backbeat of the bass drum That kept you wanting more Were you reeling from the poppers Was he just another screw Were you hell-bent on making him The one you'd love so true Was it how the party ended Just as you finally felt so free Was it the death of the gay disco The murder of the queens the funeral after funeral, one endless eulogy The government officials, quiet down, don't make a scene, turn on the lights The party's over, lost to the night Forever young, Christopher Street that Hudson River will keep on flowing after we're gone. Was it the way his body moved to the music you adore? Or the way the disco ball just sent you spinning round the floor? The glitter on his face, the sweat upon his brow? Short, short, shirtless body moving to dinosaur end. Is it how we were so wild? How we sleeplessly endured? How we raged against the night, against the cruelties of the world? In the seedy basements, back alleys, dark clubs, and the discos, for one moment felt alive. Took all our shame and let it go. Turn on the lights. Lost to the night Forever young Christopher Street That Hudson River Will keep on flowing After we're gone Christopher Street After we're gone 
You were a southern storm, hypnotic and bright. You were sand in my shoes, you were all that I knew for a little while. Sudden and cruel, soaking me through. Frozen in fear, somehow wanting more was all that I knew. Oh, for a gentle breeze on a sunny day. I was a crab on the shore, digging my little home, singing, wanting to stay, wanting to stay, wanting to stay. Blocking out all the light Weaving in between trees Climbing taller each day Choking out all the life Persistent and strong A weed through and through Spreading far and wide In a place that could hide From your system of roots Oh, for some sweet relief Or a tidal way was a crab on the shore digging my little home singing wanting to stay 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 All right. So that was a couple um, songs off of Drone Butch Blues, which um, I believe that tomorrow, isn't it the first Friday of every month that Bandcamp does their... So you can go, you can go to Clyde's um, Bandcamp and get that record. You get a whole bunch of records, and Clyde would get all the money, which would be pretty cool. Um, That'd be really fun. I'd like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, post-pandemic, maybe that would help. It'll help you finish your your project. So you're over on Guimas. You have converted a boat? Yes. Into a house where I live. <laughs> Which is awesome. And it's pretty good. You have this plan. Uh, talk about the artists in residence plan that, like, yeah, is, it's, is it's happening. Well, it's oh. it's already it already started. Uh, so last May, I was on tour here, played at the business with Wizard Apprentice and Kimmy Dawson. I was at that show. It was a great show. Just as a comment, go ahead. That was a really fun show. Yeah. Um. Well, actually, I don't know if it was a fun show. It was a. It was a sad show because it was right after Jared died and Emily and all all the Solvents crew was over. So it was really actually a very intense show. But yeah, I'm fun so might have been. We, yeah, right. It was, it was fun, but it was like holy shit! This is a really intense intense experience. Special, yeah. But uh, yeah. So the day after that, we had spent the night in town and was visiting my dad at his art at his studio, um, his architecture studio, and. And I was like, Dad, I have this boat. And uh, I'd had this boat for, for many years. I got it for really cheap, and it was in the water in Seattle. But uh, it was really expensive to like pay two rents, like to pay the mortgage in, the, in my house. So 
I was like, oh, I got to do something with this boat. Maybe I can put it on some land. So I started asking people in town. I was like, Brett and Denise, where can I put a boat? And I was like, Nick and Evie, can I like put this boat behind your shop? Isn't there already a boat back there? <laughs> and they were like, yeah, but probably not. Uh, and my dad was like, let's look at the real estate listings on Guimas. And there was just this like one piece of property. It was like a third of an acre. Um, and it was like half wetland. And it was like 20K. And I was like, wait, what is this crazy, magical, tiny, tiny piece of property for $20,000? Um, and then suddenly it became uh, an idea to try and purchase this property and uh, put the boat onto a trailer and turn it into a house where artists and residents could come and stay for free and do whatever they wanted. Um, and from there, the project like kind of unfolded. Someone donated a camper trailer to me that was in really beautiful shape. Wow. And so we, we took the piece of land and um, the land was for sale for really cheap because like it's mostly wetland and it's very hard to, to build on. So I think all of these people had bought this land and dreamed their dreams, but no dreams had ever occurred actually. Uh, they had tried and failed. So we were like, well, the one thing we can do with like one third of this one third of an acre is to put a wood chip driveway in it and put a boat on a trailer in it and put a park a trailer here. So that's, that's fine. And we'll do that. And so fast forward to a year and some months from now, I'm sitting in this boat and uh, tomorrow uh, an artist in residence will come up um, whose name is Danny Denial. They're a great musician from Seattle and they'll do whatever they want. Um, so with the pandemic happening, I ended up deciding to live here and then also host the residency in the trailer. So it's, I think like someday I probably won't live in this boat and hopefully there could be two residents at one mm -hmm. time, one in the boat and one, to, one in the trailer. But for now, this is like, uh, you know, the apocalypse <laughs> situation <laughs> that we, is happening. Well, that's yeah. pretty, that's pretty amazing though, you know, during all this to be able to still make that, the, the whole thing that you just talked about come together, but especially this part of, you know, opening it up and having someone who actually can come up and have their space, do their thing. Do you say singer, uh, songwriter, musician? Yeah, there's a, yeah, Danny's a musician and a, and yeah. a filmmaker, but yeah, um, yeah, the cool thing about it is it's a completely separate space. It's like COVID safe um, and like totally enclosed away from me. So like yeah. individuals can escape the city, have some time alone, you know, Yeah. Have, nice. some, have some space. I think it's like something we forget about is like it's pretty intense to be in the cities right now. Like we're so lucky to be in this small place and, and be able to just like walk down the street and not, I mean, it's still freaky, but it's yeah, not I the think same as walking that. down the street in Seattle or something. It's a very different situation. I think about that a lot, especially the three of us, you, me and Doug, uh, you know, one thing that we all have is that we sort of work alone 
And so the whole thing of like going every day at, you know, 8.57 and putting your mask on and being, you know, my wife, Jana, um, one day a week, she is at the farmer's market. And, you know, when she's working there with Moondance, she has to wear that thing all day. And it's just like, whew, that's a thing, man. And I don't really have much of a like I'll, I'll forget a lot of times even when i'm just zipping over to the store or something i mean it's in the car and i'll remember but i'll just hop out and like nine times out of ten i have to go back and grab it because i just am not in that default um so we are lucky yeah listen yeah. you said something a minute ago about the the solvents and about jared yeah and you know, that's um, that's a heavy situation. Obviously, he's he's been gone a while now. I don't I don't know exactly how long it's been, but he um, he was an interesting guy, and in, for lots of reasons. But one thing that I've I always found interesting is that it seemed like all of you, the music community that you know are out there performing, that so many of y'all that are closer in you and Carl and Kimya and et cetera, et cetera, you know, put him really respected his, uh, his ability, his songwriting. A lot of y'all have done um, songs of his and, you know, you have one that you did, or maybe you've done more than one, but I have one of yours here and I want to play that in a second. But I was kind of, I was just thinking about him. I don't know what, you want to you want to talk about him just for a half a second, and maybe what what role how how you whatever it makes you think of when you think of him? Yeah, for sure. Um, my experience with Jared and and Solvents in general was like going out to play shows in Port Townsend a couple times uh, throughout the years, starting when I lived in Bellingham, and then later when I lived in Seattle. Uh, going up and hanging out or going to shows at sirens or uh kind of kind of just like playing a house show at jared and emily's with their when their kids were really small yeah um or just at like the all ages space like playing the most awkward shows <laughs> to like the most <laughs> awkward teenagers in port townsend um i think like in Jared, I feel a lot of camaraderie as a person who's spent their life booking all ages shows, um, booking music shows, like being a person who, who lets bands sleep on their floor for their whole life and, you know, doesn't worry about how weird their couch smells at the end of the day or whatever, <laughs> like after 20 years. So I love that about Jared and Emily and, and their, um, you know, generosity because yeah. booking shows takes time and energy and 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 it was never a problem for them to do that and yeah. uh there's a very specific group of people who you start to build up over time you build up this like rapport with where you're like i'll book you a show you book me a show uh and like jared and emily are like some of the people that you trust and you trust that they'll book you a fun show that you'll book that they'll book your friends a fun show like you know if somebody books you a bad show you're never going to call them back but 
Yeah. People called Jared <laughs> back for years and years and years. So Emily told me this really funny thing at his memorial. She said that like pretty recently Jared had been out. He's like, I just got to go out, man. I'll be back. And he had gone out and he was shooting fireworks off all over Port Townsend <laughs> and then hiding in the bushes from the cops. <laughs> and I was like, God bless Jared. Like, that's so fun. Like, he's like fucking 40 years old or whatever. And he's out. He's just got a goddamn wild hair and he's out. Just like, I can't, I can't help it. I got to get out there and fucking blast off some fireworks and then just jump in the bushes. I could really see it in my mind. I so. remember uh, sitting around one of the first time or two or three that that um, I was around him was in Carl and Callie's backyard a couple blocks from here. And I just remember being shocked. I mean, we were all a couple sheets, you know, to the wind or whatever that saying is. Mm-hmm. And um, but he he was like a human jukebox, <laughs> which yeah, you know, <laughs> it was amazing. It takes work to memorize other people's songs. It is not easy. Right. It's crazy. Yeah. I think yeah. the yeah, the first time I ever saw Solvents was at Heckfest on the Friendship Trail. And uh, the song I covered that you're gonna play is a song they played on the sidewalk at the Friendship Trail. And I when Jared died, I was like, Oh, we should do a, a covers album and raise money for Emily. So uh, we gathered like we, I think we got forty covers done by people, wow. and um, but when I was like, well, which song am I gonna do? Like, I was like, oh, I should do I should do this one, uh, Cold Stairs. And then for a minute, I had this pause, and I was like, is that a solvent song? Because it's so fucking good. Like, I was just like, wait, is this like an an REM song? Or it just <laughs> it felt like I was just like this this song must be so fucking famous. And then I was like, no, it's it's a Jared and Emily song. Like, yeah. I don't know. Just like very powerful songwriters, those two. Yeah, it was impressive. And I agree with you. It's, you know, it's one thing for you guys to sit around and do a million of your own incredible, you know, things. And it's another thing to be able to sit down and do like, you know, a night's worth of fireside that everybody knows every song and you're like, Oh man, do another one. So, um, yeah, man, really okay, let's hear it. Let's hear your version right. of Jared's or the solvents. I should say, yeah. uh, cold stairs. Sweet. So you got cold stairs. From your mom's boyfriend But he don't know you And he damn sure don't own you So you wait Till everyone's asleep And you open up that window And make a break right for the street And now you are free Wait for me I'll meet you there At 1am Beneath our favorite tree It's by the graveyard Where we woke the dead I stole a rose from someone's grave And we were not afraid 
was cold stairs that was by the solvents and uh clyde as you were mentioning um the friendship trail it made me think about one of the early times that um i remember you coming up here um you told us last month that you is this right do i remember this right your first out of town show or tour show was up here in anacortes right yeah, the first Year Heartbreaks Out of Town show was in Anacortes. Uh, it was with a band that Carl was in, maybe with Brian Malloy and someone else, Three Dudes and Three Guitars, jamming style. Don't know what it was called. Cassidy might. Does that ring a bell, Doug? Or Dave Mathis might have been in it. It wouldn't have been Amigo, right? Amigo was oh. like... That's what I was thinking, the Amigos. It, it was Amigo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. cool. Yeah, and we played 
in the room full of mirrors behind the bakery? Magic City or something? Was it Magic, Magic City? City? Yeah. Yeah, we played a Magic City. It was our first out-of-town show. It was so fun. Um, I know that place by reputation. I never... I think it must have left right before I got here or something, but I'm aware of it. It smelled so good. It smelled like cookies. It's really fun. <laughs> I, used to have the bakery. I used to have a studio over that. And so Oh did yeah, we'd get it Did Dave night. take that over? Oh yeah, sorry. No, different. Did no. Dave Oh different one. Okay. Yeah. Well, he was call it, Doug, at, the end, Joel? at the end he was uh practicing there. He might have recorded something in there. I'm not sure. Yeah, Did you call I think, it Jolt? That was Jolt Studios, yes. I think he recorded the Dame Dulce record up there. He may have. Because I came and played some bass on it. Oh, wow. Upstairs? like. Yeah. Huh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> so the, what, what this, the track I'm going down here is that I remember the Friendship Trail. I think it was, the, I'm, I'm pretty certain that you did a Friendship Trail spot for carl or you know coordinated through carl and um kind of down there as you're getting to the port whatever kind of behind where the business is now but not exactly behind and um as i was talking to you about offline just a second ago i remember you did um a couple songs that stuck with me one of them was like a garth brooks cover and i remember you saying something like don't give me any shit or something <laughs> you know you're like <laughs> was it something to the extent of he's the top selling artist in America and you all are wrong <laughs> it may have been it was definitely you were staking a claim that you were not going to take any crap about this yes. um, and so that but I also um, one of our family favorites is this little quick one that I'm going to play here for you so um, you'll know the name as soon as you hear the lyrics. So, Doug, will you just play it? And here it comes. Boating, boating, boating with Clyde. Boating, boating, boating with Clyde. Everything is looking good in the summer. Everything is looking good in the summer. Everything is looking good in the First things first. Pensacola, Florida, 2004. I was living by the bayou and eating from the dumpster until I met these freaky dudes, Evan and Dave. They said, listen up, we floated a long, long way from the mini St. Paul, you know, the Twin Cities. Took the big old Mississippi and its tributaries. Now we're living on an island a few blocks from your house. We got some guns and some dogs. Come and chill out. Everything is looking good in the summer. Everything is looking good in the summer. Everything is looking good in the summertime Next thing you know we're all building this boat Drinking beers in the backyard Playing like it's gonna float Plywood, power tool, nail in the tack Bend the wood in the jig and fiberglass Six 
years later, this thing still floats. We're explorers of the brackish waters of the West Coast, my hometown, Seattle. I'm seeing it with new eyes. Sunny hell yeah, let's go boating with Clyde. Everything is looking good in the summer. Everything is looking Yes, boating with Clyde, which I, you know, speaking of kind of like you were saying about that solvent song, is it famous? I mean, that one feels to me like one of those that every single person you cannot kind of sit still when you hear that that intro well so do you know that that song uh is music by the band peace that phil recorded okay no wait what okay go ahead do you you remember that album peace that phil put out at one heck fest that was just it was a blank cd and it just had a peace sign on it oh and on the, on the uh, sleeve uh it was like maybe yeah it was maybe or maybe on the, on the anyway. disc okay yeah. so it's hard to know how much to say about this but yeah phil recorded this iconic band piece from canada and then i asked phil if i could remix that song that they had made summertime <laughs> into the boating with Clyde. so the music is actually by someone else and it's an incredible jam on its own it's probably yeah. in the amp archives and it's probably called summertime um, well yeah and it's it is a jammer a hundred percent i had no idea but i do remember when you were on the street when i this show i keep talking about this friendship trail that you were you had like as your backing uh like a jam box, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so maybe that... <laughs> that was that music. I totally forgot about all of this. Um, yeah, there's a lot of local folklore about peace. I think you'd have to get Phil on the horn to really get into that, though. He he controls the knowledge on that band. Well, I will tell you what. He is going to be our, um, our guest in November. So, yes. you know... Mark your calendars for that, but I'm putting that down right now to ask him about the band uh, Peace yeah. and the whole the whole thing. Uh, so the reason I wanted to play that right now, aside from that my family just loves that little thing and we've watched a bunch of the episodes is because of what episodes? What are you talking about? You know, aside from music, you do a whole bunch of different artistic things. You're a filmmaker, of course. And this Boating with Clyde, I mean, I'd like you to talk about it, but how many years did you do the show? Was it four years? or We shot it for five years, but the fifth season is not online yet. And I really need to, I'm hoping this winter will be the time when I can edit it. Um I used to have someone that was helping me mix the audio for it, and that's kind of a big portion of the work that goes into it in the end when you're mm-hmm. editing. So, But basically, uh, to rewind, yeah, uh, I built this tiny dinghy in Florida when I lived there, as you heard in the song. Uh, and I traveled with it all the way back to Seattle <laughs> and on top of a van on tour. And then I started using it to host. Well, first I was just using it to have friends go boating with me in the Arboretum uh, when they were visiting. 
uh, just for fun, I, I remember taking out Al Larson, mm-hmm. and and then I remember thinking, ah, I should be filming this, and I should be making fans play music. So I did a little Kickstarter and bought some GoPro cameras right when they came out so that we would have some waterproof cameras. And I bought a little portable battery-powered mixer and a couple of microphones. And that was all, that's all we need. It's just, a, it's just a really small backpack of gear and a tiny rowboat. And we had everything from Behead the Prophet, No Lord Shall Live, reunion show with like uh, some hydrophones on a bucket drum set that Carl had built some hydrophones for me. And um, we lined oh, that's in. When he was working for that guy yeah. who makes those. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This comes yeah. together. Right. Yeah. So he hooked me up with some hydrophones for the bucket drums and I built a floating drum set. And then we would just like line in the guitars into this mixer in the boat. And so things just like sounded totally insane in the open air but in the mixer like the bands would sound huge and i could hear it but everyone else was just like what the fuck this sounds fucking crazy um yeah so hosted a lot of bands out on the water uh you can see a bunch of these i don't mean to speak over yeah. you, but like you, you know for people listening you can go to clydepeterson.com it is oh, you com, just, right you can just go to boatingwithclyde.com Oh, okay, even better. But there are, I mean, oh, yeah. you know, there are yeah. a whole bunch of them. I guess you know, four of five seasons or close to that. Lots of people, and you know, a lot of people that you know. I know Lil Wings was one I just watched the other day, just to kind of. Yeah, that was a fun one. Yeah, that was such a good idea. It, you know, in a way, that was a little bit of a um, an inspiration for us to do the next show. Um, you know, just because you had, I don't know, because you had done it. And then when Carl wanted to start the uh, the radio station, you know, that was in the back of my head. I'll put it that way. It was kind of, so thank you. Yeah. I'm excited to like try to do another season of Boating with Clyde up here on Guimas in the Beaver Pond sometime. <laughs> it's a really good, it's a good location for it. There's not a lot of wind. So I think. There's a lot of trick, you know, it's very tricky, like shooting in Seattle, we shot in the, in the Arboretum and we'd have to like tuck ourselves away in a tiny little corner of the reeds to keep the wind from blowing through the microphones and, you know, party college kids everywhere. Took Jason Anderson out and he made like 50 drunk UW students sing um, along with him and it was terrifying for me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he made them all sing don't stop believing it was oh well that would be frightening yeah i was like he's like let's go check out what those guys are doing and i was like please don't make me go over there (laughs) well so this is boating with clyde i want to stay on this side of your artistic output for a second and you know we definitely have to talk about um tory pines this film is it's so good in so many ways you won a bunch of awards and you know i want you to if you don't mind to immodestly you know drop drop some info about it but you know one thing that i find interesting about 
boating with Clyde and Tory Pines that's kind of a, a through line is that there's not very much talking. It really is driven by the music and the visuals. And just pick it pick it up wherever you want. But Tory Pines is gosh, it's so good. People need to make sure they see that. Yeah, for sure. Uh Tory Pines is a feature stop motion animated film I made in from 2013 to 2016 it took three years um, and it's autobiographical about growing up with my mom who's schizophrenic and then eventually uh, moving up to Seattle with my dad and uh, it's also about like being a teenager, puberty, gender identity, just like all the craziness of that uh, in, a, in a world pre-internet um, <laughs> takes place in Southern California and then halfway through the movie, it, it turns into a road trip movie. Uh, there's a ton of pop culture in it. Star Trek, Beauty and the Beast with Linda Hamilton and Ron Perlman. Uh, what else? Tetris. Got all, you know, got your 90s jams in there. Did you say already? I'm sorry, I was so caught up in kind of the excitement of us getting to this. Did you already say that it's a stop motion animation uh, I did, but you know, there's a lot of sentences. So, yeah. So sure. it's it's made of paper. The entire thing is handmade and hand painted and, and hand animated. Um, and then the film toured the world for two years with a live score. So that um, is so amazing. That is, I mean, that's like old timey. You know, old timey film. It's the best experience. Yeah, it's. It's such, I think it's one of the best ways to see a film with a live orchestra or a live band. Um, there have been several performances I've seen of such a nature, like 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, uh, as soundtracked by Stephen Merritt from the Magnetic Fields and the guy who wrote Lemony Snicket. Was mm -hmm. it? They did like a really ridiculous theremin style live score once, <laughs> where I feel like they were just like, Give us fifty grand, and then they bought two theremins, and we're like, "Okay, cool, we're done." Deal. <laughs> I was yeah. like, "What a scam!" But it was great. Um, but yeah, the the film has no dialogue, and that, or it's got a little bit, but uh, not very much at all, like two minutes of dialogue. But that really enabled us to take the film around the world without any um, any translation issues. Mm -hmm. which really like opened up touring for us in a lot of different ways. We were brought to Japan twice. Uh, we went to Norway, um, Denmark. Uh, we did a full tour of the, of the UK and Ireland. Like we did like 10 or 12 shows there. And then we did a 60 show tour of the U S in a pretty DIY yeah. style. Like we we played 64 shows or 60 shows in 64 days. Like wow. we, we premiered yeah. the film in Seattle uh, at the Egyptian movie theater to like a sold out packed house with a 24 person band and choir. And then like two days later we hit the road with, as a three piece band and just played every night for 60 days. Um, and you would was, project the, you would project the film and then yeah. you would play the score and yeah, I mean, yeah, that was the perform. You you didn't turn it into like a concert afterwards or something like that. It was no. it was about the film. Yeah, yeah, but we did have um, 
the the U.S. tour was like pretty DIY, and so we booked the tour basically as a band. So often we would have a band open or open for us, or mm. or we would have like a local filmmaker open, and that was very fun. Like to just book it as a sh- as a punk show or whatever. We played in houses and warehouses and bars and you know every which way we played like in a strip mall in Canada, like for three people and a Domino's pizza. That was one of the funnest shows. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just like where you're like, Oh, we're next to the Macy's in the casino. And uh, there's three kids in Regina, Saskatchewan that came to see this film. So we better do a really good job <laughs> of like giving them yeah. what they want. Um, yeah. Um, let me ask you two little points. Um, you had a lot of people that you have a lot of people that you work with in general. Um, I guess, uh, among a a bunch of them, Chris Walla was part of the process with this project. Yeah. Chris Walla was the producer for the soundtrack. Um, he, he had never made a soundtrack before and, Neither had I, so it's it's a pretty big learning experience for both of us. Um, going into it, we were we were like, "Oh wait, what is the music for this movie? We don't even know." So, pretty quickly, uh, Zach Burba and Jacob and I from Your Heartbreaks got together and 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 got like six or seven tracks going, instrumentals, and then we had um, the band Earth write a song as a part as to play the part of the teenage rock band. Right. Oh, okay. Yep. And we had um, a that choir. Fits. Yeah, there was a choir in, in Seattle called the Beaconettes. They're like a group of older women who they win the figgy pudding uh, holiday choir contest every year downtown. And they yes. wrote a Star Trek theme song for us, which was very cool and very weird experience to happen. <laughs> I like remember giving them a little bit of instructions and then I went to meet up with the one person who was composing the theme for us and she was like well this is the idea i have and then she like acapella just sang like a very classic wobbly star trek theme and i was like (laughs) oh my god awesome (laughs) and then it just turned into this crazy huge choir chris was like this is the most challenging thing i've ever recorded this is the craziest day and it's really it was fun to watch but yeah, we spent well, a month, month making that soundtrack with Chris. Had you worked with him before? Or was that kind of the first thing? Or how did that exactly come about? Yeah, Chris recorded uh, a band I had been in in Bellingham like 20 years before that. We were both uh, in Bellingham at the same time. So uh, I was in a little punk band up there and he recorded us in our living room. Um, and then we... I don't know. We'd always kept kept in touch over the years, just a little bit, and then would see each other at whatever music festivals and stuff, and say hey. But when it came to Tory Pines, I was I was really hoping he would want to do it for a number of reasons. That uh, I I really love this record that he made that is called Loops. I don't know if you guys have that, but it's extremely beautiful. It's just tape loops, and they're super mellow. No, um, but I've heard of it. Okay. It's really good. I think you'll like it. And also his studio was like two blocks from my house in Seattle. So it was an ideal scenario for nice. kind of goofing, goofing off. 
one more thing before we play a, a, a little bit of music. Um, can you also talk about, I believe you were telling me that it was getting used in schools in like a Nordic country or <laughs> yeah. yeah. Can it you is. talk about that or is currently? Okay. I'm so pumped on this. It's happening this fall. The students of Oscar Norway are going to watch Tori Pines as part of their like curriculum. Um, and I got to make like a behind the scenes movie for them. And uh, yeah, uh, I'm hoping that I think a bunch of other towns in Norway will hopefully pick up on it and it will <laughs> tour the eighth grade eighth ninth and tenth grade school systems of of norway <laughs> which is I mean, so cool to me amazing could you i mean could you have ever consider i mean a minute ago you mentioned that because of the lack of dialogue and mm -hmm. that it you know opened up a lot of places that you could go with it i i assume that that wasn't necessarily something you were thinking about at the no. time right it just Okay. No, yeah, I I just prefer quiet moments. So, yeah. uh, no, but yeah, it's 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 like super exciting to me. I love like when kids watch the movie because they like engage with it in a totally different way. It's pretty fun. That is just yeah, that's that's wild. You should be really proud of that. I think that is super cool. Um, okay, we're gonna take just a moment we're gonna hop into some music we'll come right back this is a song called how can two become one um this is from an album called from mount erie that i don't know if you want to talk I, I think you were house sitting but um if you want to talk about how you did it or we can just jump right into it yeah sure uh let's jump into it and then I'll talk about it afterwards okay that sounds good. K-Doug Cassidy, if you'll play that one, please, sir. How could two become one when we could never agree over the salty sandbar? Douglas fir tree, the slow rolling hills, snow capped peaks, thundering shores, or the lonesome prairie. And how could two become one when we could never agree and face to face with geography? You said, I have roots here, sheltering leaves. I said, I need the shore, the salty Thank you. 
And that was How Can Two Become One on the From Mount Erie album. Yeah, why don't you, what does that make you think of, Clyde? Uh, well, it was, I haven't heard that song in so long. Uh, I recorded that record in Phil's old studio, the little one, uh, gosh, what's that building called? It's like on commercial. It's right next to Bayshore. What's that yeah, called? Yeah. Uh, Doug, yeah. you know that building, the tall one that, anyway. Keystone or something? Keystone. You got yeah, it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I recorded that in a little studio up there um, when I was house-sitting one time. And um, Carl was in on that session. Lori Goldston came up and goofed around on some cello. And yeah. Kevin Erickson was around and came down and played some marimba and stuff. And Yeah. <laughs> I remember that being like a very like uh, lonely and cold time in my life. So yeah. <laughs> like I was just like really sad and up in Anacortes house sitting and just messing around. But it was a pretty fun like experimental and weird record for me. So yeah, yeah, I like that. I like that track. It's a uh, it's kind of short and um, I don't know. Feels like it gets right to it. Whatever the it is that sometimes yeah. happens in those cases. Um, I kind of want to jump back off for one second and, you know, go back to some of the other art that you do. So you're also a visual artist. You'll do installations and things. And one thing that I uh, found interesting is that kind of like you were talking about when we were talking about Tory Pines that, you know, most of that or all of that is hand done, paper, etc., and that's kind of a theme in a lot of the, your art. Not everything, right? But a lot of cardboard, a lot of um, paper. Yeah. Analog. Analog. Yeah. That's my, that's my preferred theme for life, I think, for sure. And um, is that just, that's just the way it is and where it came from? Did you ever play around kind of in other ways and it didn't kind of work? Or did you start? You know, everybody's uh, got paper. You know what I mean? Those were the mediums I was, like, trained in since mm -hmm. I was, like, I'm awkwardly in between generations. Um, I believe I'm in a generation called Gen Y Bother. <laughs> Somewhere. <laughs> it's like there's three awkward years before the millennials, and that's, I'm in that, I was born in 80. So I feel like um, <laughs> essentially, like, the things I was trained on were just very analog and, and I appreciate them in that way. And I use, use them for storytelling in that way. And um, I like finished, like an example of this is like, I studied filmmaking at Fairhaven college in Bellingham. And then the next year they brought computers into the edit suite. Like, so like I was like, oh, I'm learning how to edit movies with three v VCRs. Yeah. In a way that no one will use moving forward. Not literally, yeah. but I mean. Yeah, like okay. the next year they will throw these VCRs in the garbage can and replace an entire wall of media with a flat screen computer. <laughs> <laughs> so I just was raised in that. And then. Like as soon as like computers hit education, like I had finished college and was in a tour van for like mm -hmm. 20 years. Right. So 
when I have to engage with technology, like computers, like I don't love it. Like my favorite thing, my favorite way to make a film is to shoot it on film, even though it's stupid expensive and you won't be able to see the film for a month. When you get it back, like it's so beautiful, you know. Sometimes it sucks. Sometimes your film doesn't turn out, and you're like, "Fuck! I just spent a hundred dollars in this roll of film that didn't turn out." <laughs> but that's the gamble, right there. Well, that does that does kind of under kind of undergird how um, oh I don't know dedicated you are to to the project, right? I'm not going to see it till the end or I'm not going to see it till later, but this is the vision and let's go do it. Yeah. It's interesting too, because you've done lots of videos for people aside from your own films. You know? Yeah, sure. I'll shoot a digital film like, and that is helpful and it keeps the cost down for bands and stuff like that. And you can do really fast turnaround music video or whatever. I don't mind that stuff, but that's really like a, a work, a workday product. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah and in terms of like building stuff with cardboard it uh it's just more accessible like i am currently learning how to build stuff with wood and before this i just didn't really have the right tools or anything um to to construct things out of, of wood so now i'm like collecting the right saws and you know all that stuff so so you can make a sauna yeah, so I can build a sauna. But like cardboard is accessible and free and mm. pretty lightweight and you can build huge things out of it. It's very structurally strong. And like right now I'm building for the Bellevue Arts Museum a piece that is a cross section of a redwood forest tree out of cardboard. And wow. it's gonna be like ten feet tall and ten feet across. Um and I'm just making it out of all the boxes I used to move up here. Well, as a specific aside, you know, my, the connection we have, I mean, we, <laughs> we take lots and lots and lots and lots of recycling of boxes because we're getting inventory all the time. So just keep that in the back of your head if you need or what you need. Oh, yes. But, you're, uh, in tr- you're in trouble now. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the Bellevue, it's, you know, you bring them up. I mean, you've done lots of shows in lots of places, but I remember in particular a show you did back in um, a couple years ago called Merch and Destroy, which, again, overlapping with my day job of The Connection, it made an extra special sort of like uh, impression on me. But that, uh, I remember that one was very well received. Those people over there, the curators or whatever, they must um, like you. (laughs) Uh, yeah, there. We had a fun time with that show. Um, I built a life-size tour van out of cardboard and filled it with rock and roll gear, all built out of cardboard. And then we, re- I recreated um, a green room, which was definitely like controversial. There were, you know, the the culture of Bellevue is not particularly <laughs> uh, familiar with the backstage green rooms of green rooms of America. And the, and the penis count that you will find on the walls <laughs> of those rooms. So I remember like the opening night of that show, uh, there was a collector's preview hour. Uh-huh. So like the particularly wealthy donors of the Bellevue Arts Museum <laughs> came in 
before the general public and I was there and it was just really early on like this maybe the second person that came in the room and it was this woman in this fabulous pantsuit like just beautiful like purple and red full body suit and I was like this lady is gonna love this I can't <laughs> wait to see what happens and she came out of that room like so angry she went up to a security guard and she said, have you seen what's in that room? That should not be allowed. And I was like, oh my God, I really misread her. Like she had an amazing outfit on. I was. Yeah, there you go. Never judge a book by its cover, right? Yeah. Anyway, I mean, the rest of the show went fine, but there was definitely some people. And, but one of the other fun parts of that show was like, there are 30 volunteer docents for the museum. And they're all women, white women, mostly white women in, in their 60s and up. And I got to give them a tour of the show because mm. they take groups on tours. And they fucking loved it. And they, I was like explaining the green room to them. And I was like, this is an example of like patriarchy. Like basically like this is... <laughs> Like, to put this in context of your life, like, this is what I am subject to every night of my life as a musician. Like, this is what America finds acceptable. <laughs> this yeah. is where I'm supposed to hang out. This is supposed to be okay. And um, they really loved it. And they, I think they gave great tours of the show after that. They're so sweet. So <laughs> It reminds me of, uh, if you go to Clyde, peterson.com and you go look at the picture of uh clyde has two we haven't even touched on mandate yet but um has another music project and that picture that's there of the four y'all is a great example of oh, yeah. what you're talking about there's you know soft core soft porn and some not so soft pictures that are all plastered to the wall like lots of green rooms and lots of venues yeah, we filmed a mandate video in that green room too, in the museum. Oh, so, oh what? Uh, Wait, what? What did you just say? Say that. We again? filmed um, a mandate music video in the green room in the museum that I built. Oh, so, perfect. Okay. Yeah. So, what about mandate? You want to? You mentioned Lori uh, Goldston earlier, and she's one of she's in that band with you, right? Yeah, Lori's in mandate. Um, along with Mark Mazik, our drummer, and Corey J. Brewer, who is a Skagit Valley native. He is a Mount Vernon born and bred boy. Oh, wow. Yeah. He, t- he told me a good story recently about how he would uh, walk around Mount Vernon tagging stuff with chalk, and people would uh, think it was paint and have to paint over it. <laughs> <laughs> He's I, like, I, don't, I don't think I have a mandate. Um, track here, so that's, okay. that's gonna just have to be that way. But uh, but I do want to play some more music. Um, while we're chatting, so we talked about Tory Pines a little earlier. We never played. Uh, I want to play the title track from that. Doug, can you find that on the some of the songs that Clyde sent over? And I think this one features Kimya also. Yeah, Kimia co-wrote this song with me. I didn't know her super well, uh, but we were recording down in Olympia, and 
thought, well, I'll just ask her if she wants to sing on this song. And she took the demo disc and she came back a few hours later and was like, I just sat in my car for three hours and I wrote a part and I love it. And let's do this. <laughs> I was like, God. this is awesome. There you go. She makes it happen. All right. Well, I think we're ready for it. So let's listen to the song. We'll be back in a moment. Do I tell the story of my mother gone crazy? Last seen living in the woods outside of Branson, Missouri. And I try to write it down, but I cannot recollect the order of the situations, what came to pass and what happened next. Kimya Dawson, Clyde Peterson. Um, okay, goodness gracious, you've done so many things. I just <laughs> I, told, I told you at the beginning. Uh, when I saw you down at South by Southwest all those years ago, was that? I don't know if you can remember necessarily, but were, were you down there for Tory Pines? Uh, uh, I do remember. Showing? Yes. Uh, no, it, I was there. I had a I had a music video in South by Southwest for Laura Veers. Oh. Um, and so I went to South by Southwest and watched my video in the theater and then walked around the streets and saw you. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty random, I remember. And I was, was very happy yeah, it was, about it. It was great. Yeah. The yeah. The first? Oh, go ahead. Pardon me. Oh, no, it's fine. No. You carry on. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the very first... Uh, sort of anacortis based thing after we moved here that occurred 
for us was we were at that time, I mean, this is, you know, 20 years ago, but we were uh, doing the trade show and they would have music in the trade show back then. They would have the artists, you know, doing that. And in fact, I don't know if perhaps you were um, tour managing Laura at this time, but anyway, um, Laura was playing and Jana was like, I think that guy up there lives in Anacortes also. <laughs> and, you know, of course, Carl was playing uh, with awesome. her. And uh, so she went up and, you know, introduced herself and whatever. And they put that together. And so that was just, we were like, oh, that's fun. That's fun. You know, because we had fun. just moved to town and we didn't know anything about the music scene or anything about anything. We just loved Anacortes and it was pretty random. That's um, awesome. Yeah. But we did overlap with you definitely when you were tour managing one time where we were, you know, on like a cross country motorhome trip and we were spending a couple weeks in New York and y'all were there playing a show. And uh, that was, um, I don't remember where it was, but I remember my oldest son who's 18 now was like, you know, four. So that kind of, dates it and stebmo was you know part of the gang and took me outside and we walked around the block and he made me happy as he tended to do and <laughs> um, <laughs> but you've had quite a few gigs i mean that was a way you paid the bills for a while of yeah. people's tours and yeah tour managed for a long time side note do you remember when you were in your rv camping and then I walked outside of my house in Seattle and I was like, that's such a cool RV. And then it was you. And I was like, what the fuck are you doing camping in front of my house, Todd? <laughs> you had no idea that I lived there. And that was very strange and magical. That really, you're right. That really was. Uh, I remember that the reason we had gone there was because we, there was maybe a place around the corner from you that had, we were going to go have brunch or just eat oh, yeah. some breakfast. The dish. And yeah. Oh, the what? The what? The dish. The dish. And so yeah. we had driven over there in the evening and parked somewhere and it ended up being right in front of your. That was magical. It's let me tell you, let me, as long as we're talking about this, let me tell you one other story that's kind of random like that where uh, we were, uh, Jana and I were driving. This was also in, in the motorhome and we were on, uh, one of those little side streets over in the U district. And we were getting, we were looking for a certain place to, to go. And I was really confused on where we were. This was a little before GPS and such. And so I stop in the middle of this road and I kind of call out to this guy who's walking out of his house. Uh -huh. And it ended up that it was um, Phil Elvram's, younger brother isaac amazing and he goes I, I said excuse me i have a question just kind of randomly and he goes todd and I, I think i had said i'm kind of looking for a place or whatever i had said had Im implied that i didn't know where i was and he was like you know where you need to go is down the street a couple blocks turn right he gave me these directions and i was like well i haven't I'm freaked out already that it's Isaac, but I'm like, I haven't even told you where I'm trying to get to. Yes. And it turned out that Phil was having a show down 
in the U district. So he thought I was down there trying to find out, which I of oh course my didn't. God. Anyway, so Seattle, the uh, the place of random overlaps with awesome tiny people. town. Yeah. Yeah. And what about Earth? I mean, um, yeah. I've I've been making a movie with Earth for three years. Um, it's like seventy five percent done, eighty percent done. I've been making a documentary about them. Oh, uh, I tour managed them for five years, or, or I guess I managed them too. I did it all. Um, yeah, yeah. It was we had some wild times with the old drone drone metal scene, yeah. and. Uh, I'm glad to hear that that film is kind of coming, you know, is is yeah. coming together. Yeah, it's almost, I would say it's like almost done. This winter is going to be my time to crush it. Um, mm -hmm. I put it aside for the summer because, you know, summertime in the Northwest is the best and just trying to build, build my little sauna before yeah. it gets cold. But yeah, this winter I'm going to be sitting down to just finish the edit on it. Um, there's a few more interviews I want to do that have been kind of interrupted by COVID, so... I'm going to be mailing a camera out to Montana to interview a drummer was who was one of the early uh, drummers. And yeah, I've been shooting the whole thing on film. It's incredibly expensive and stupid, but it's worth it. It looks beautiful. I've been making um, members of the band just do ridiculous things. Uh, I made Lori Goldston just trek through like feet of snow with a cello and perform in a field of snow for me. <laughs> uh, took Dylan and Adrian out to the Wayside Chapel on Highway 20, this tiny little church for four people, and made them play in there. I've been trying to like highlight the beautiful features of the Northwest, beautiful and odd things in the Northwest, uh, while exploring the band's history. That's cool. I read yeah. an interview with you as I was kind of getting ready for this, and um, you mentioned in there. Uh, something that I just thought was so right on, which is that often when you hear about Earth or have a, you know, uh, a spotlight on them, you know, it's directly related to the relationship with Kurt uh, and Nirvana yeah. or what have you, which is, you know, is legitimate. It's a portion of the story. But as you pointed out, I mean, I'm totally cribbing from what you said, but as you pointed out in the interview, like that's, that's not really Earth's story, and I guess is not the story you're setting out to tell. Yeah, I mean, we talk about this stuff a little bit in the movie, but there's, you know, they they have like over thirty years of like musical knowledge and wisdom and adventure under their belt, and they've had like thirty members, and you know the vision that Dylan and Adrian bring to music is so beautiful and, and so unique and like it can't be replicated. You can't just like smoke some weed and sit down with a guitar and play music like Dylan Carlson. No. And, and it's, it's so hard to play drums as slow as Adrian plays them. It's, she makes it look so easy and it's, it's ridiculously hard to play drums that slow. She's like created an entirely different way of playing the drums. Um, so yeah, th that film is, is about, you know, it's about like addiction and, and recovery and survival and mm -hmm. persistence of vision. So. Yeah, I was really proud for the time frame that, that we got to work with them, which is directly related, you know, to, to you. Uh, that was when you were managing them. And, but 
I really didn't know the band before then and then just became a, you know, not a not a huge fan in the way that I can just name every album and all that, but I can sit there and be explosively blown away by any track every time. It's uh, still, I feel like it's just so incredibly unique. I don't, I'm not in the drone scene or whatever, all the, you know, all like that, but um, that's just a great band. So, yeah. If you're if you're listening and you don't listen to Earth, you should go you know, sit down and be ready to listen a little bit. Which album would you say is a good intro album for someone mm-hmm. who hasn't listened? You know, probably a lot of people would recommend like The Bees Made Honey and the Lion's Skull. It's kind of a thousand mm-hmm. of more, one of their more popular ones. Okay, that's a good but place to start. I like Pentastar myself. It's a little more metal. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And our buddy Carl played, uh, Carl Blau played with them for yeah, a whole while. Played on two albums and one, at least one tour that I went on with them. Mm-hmm. That was fun. It was a fun era. Okay. We are getting to the last half hour here. So I want to make sure to get a few, um, you know, definitely get a little more music in. So we're going to take a moment and we're going to play, how about we play, two tracks off of your album harsh tokes and bong jokes great um recorded in carl's shack in the backyard is that right k9 studio on the yamaha amp that is behind doug right now (laughs) (laughs) so let's play the uh title track and blood brothers how about that yeah okay here's a hot hot topic from that title track so that yamaha amp carl he was like, okay, I'm going to play the guitar solo. And he like hooked up a VHS camcorder with one of these like extendable microphones from like 1982. And he put that microphone onto that Yamaha amp and then blasted his guitar solo through it. And I was just like, God, you're a monster. <laughs> onto a four-track cassette. <laughs> KB, man. There you yeah. go. Okay. Harsh tokes and bong jokes. Here we go. Talking harsh, harsh tokes, cracking dumb bong jokes. Sneaking out after midnight, Woodland Park in the moonlight. Swing set swinging with the girls from school, and hot box smoking with your queer punk crew. Total losers.
Taking Ad out in the weekly Fucking weirdo seeks new family Gold stargazing penguin huggers Hardcore faggots come on over Sissy slices complimentary Do you want meat or vegan friendly Rimmer or a sister fister Vegan ally, bottom feeder And up the wolf dykes, waking dreamers LARPers and all deep sea creatures Hotel pool 24 hours Workout room then hit the showers Gay marriage that shits for suckers Equal rights you motherfuckers Bus dance moves to diamond rings It's times like this that we're living Ten months sober, take deep breaths A shy and lonely hunteress One more borrowed stranger's bed To fall asleep watching Star Trek Harsh tokes and bong jokes. Um, that was fun. Those two tracks had very different vibes. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's a real roller coaster. You never know what you're going to get out of your Heartbreaks record. <laughs> well, let's just keep uh, riding that train. Um, I'll remind everybody that tomorrow on Bandcamp, you can buy... A lot of this stuff. This album I'm going to mention might be a great one to get. It's called Greatest Hits. Clyde will get all the money. Any artist will go buy lots and lots of music on Bandcamp tomorrow. But specifically, we're going to hear a track off of uh, the Greatest Hits release from Your Heartbreaks. And this album, before we play this track, we should just... Why did you frame what this... What this album is about well uh this album was supposed to be recorded at carl's music space where the business is now uh the day we were scheduled to come up and record this album it burned down so we woke up in the morning and found out all this terrible news and we're like oh my god so uh we ended up regrouping and 
recording this in the woodland space, which is in Seattle, a space that Kenneth and I run, in Ology space, and it was very much under construction. It was like recording in a total shithole full of uh, sheetrock dust and freezing cold. <laughs> so that's for traditional your heartbreak stuff. But uh, it was a, kind of a drop-in session where folks would come in with keyboards and work on beats and keyboard parts for covers of what we had selected as our greatest hits. We wanted to make a dance album. I and love we, that. I love yeah, that it's your songs that you redid, but it's a it's a dance album. So yeah, let's go ahead and play what did uh this track is called The Rats? Yeah, this is a really early heartbreak song. This is like the second uh the second year heartbreak song I ever recorded with Carl. Awesome. So, All right. Here it is.
All right. And so there we are. Uh, Clyde, I'm going to ask you something so random. It doesn't really have a ton to do with you, uh, except that you talked about it in one of these interviews, and I don't really know what we're talking about. So you, <laughs> what is the Seattle's Teen Dance Ordinance? Oh, sure. I'm like, what interview <laughs> Interview you're reading? Okay. Uh, I think it was with like the Harvard something or other, but anyway. God, yeah. who knows? Uh, right. Yeah, so the Teen Dance Ordinance was some legislation that happened in Seattle, I believe in the late 80s. Um, it made all ages shows essentially illegal. And it was built around, it was legislation built around the idea of like shutting down this one place in Seattle that was called the Monastery. And the Monastery was an old church that was run by this guy, George, and he was having like a late night disco in it, like an after hours disco. And a lot of queer youth were living there and sleeping there, like a lot of homeless teens and stuff. And there was some scandal involved in that with like underage sex. Uh, Simultaneously at the same time though, there was a lot of racism happening around hip hop shows in Seattle Mm -hmm. uh, and cops showing up and shutting down rap and hip-hop shows and so that legislation was like built to shut down these um events and it ended up like not working and not shutting down the monastery at all which went on for like 10 or 12 more years but (laughs) but it ended up killing the all ages music scene um because it made it like impossible it was literally like an anti-dancing ordinance and it made it impossible for you to like have enough insurance to cover your venue. And so uh, a group of people got together and started to fight this eventually and teamed up with like tons of youth and uh, eventually overturned the ordinance. But it was like one of Seattle's uh, stupidest ordinances in my opinion. And it was also in conjunction with a poster ban for many years like, basically, it was just, like, a bunch what? of, like, NIMBY, like, keep it down out there. Get off of my kind lawn. Of, kind of bullshit. Entangled with a lot of racism and homophobia. Um, and so, eventually, it was overturned, and a bunch of people that, that worked to overturn it were also the people that started the Vera Project. Really? Yeah, oh. so Kate Becker yeah. and Shannon were the people that started the Vera Project, and they were part of the people that led the um, fight against it. And so when I was in high school, I was like part of a teen group that uh, was setting up all ages shows um, in old venues and in space, in alternative spaces. And uh, what you saw like immediately after that bill was repealed is like an explosion of all ages music and spaces in Seattle. And it was just amazing and a wonderful place to be uh in so many ways in terms of music and you saw like the explosion of like um <laughs> bands like slitter kenny and you know yeah. blood brothers and a lot of hip-hop shows happening very quickly and and most of the bars in town were able to convert to have like earlier all ages shows too that is so, I had no idea about that. Kate Becker, who now runs the uh, city's like office of music and film, right? Um, she was running that. Now she works for Dow Constantine. Yeah, and runs it. Oh, she she moved on, but yeah, she still works in the film and culture section gotcha. uh, okay. at, a, at a state level. Um, 
Yeah, all of that stuff is like very intricately tied to a bunch of punk and hardcore history, too, in the Northwest. Um, during the time of the Teen Dance Ordinance, all of the shows move over to Bremerton, and we're having at a place called Natasha's. And there is a very infamous punk fairy riot that happened um, in which a bunch of people went to a show and then came back. We're coming back on the ferry, and uh, there was a kind of like one upping challenge going on between a couple of punks. One dude like peed in a potted plant, and then like a girl like started to take her shirt off, and they were uh, one upping each other. And these cops came and arrested both of them on the ferry, and it like started a full on punk rock riot on the ferry boat. Um, and uh, the ferry ride was so long that like eventually like the punks got tired and just like went back to their cars. <laughs> but uh, and then. As the ferry came into dock, there were like a million cops waiting, but they couldn't prove anything, so they just let everyone leave. But um, what the other person that helped animate Tory Pines made a short animated film about that ferry riot, and um, you can watch it online. Do you happen to remember the name of it uh, at uh, the moment? I think it's called the Infamous Ferry Riot. The, okay, I'll find yeah. it. Yeah, but yeah, um, that's like the nutshell of the Teen Dance Ordinance, but. It's, Thank it's, you. It's tied to a lot of like amazing history in Seattle. Yeah, that's. I had no idea that that conversation was going to go that way. I literally thought you might be like, "Oh, you've seen the movie Footloose." That's <laughs> what it. You know, that's the whole well, thing right there. That yeah. uh, you know, you might have heard the Murder City Devil song. There's a song called Dancehall Music. You know, can't get yeah. no dancehall music on the radio. You know, where are kids supposed to go in this town? I don't know. Those lyrics. That's Oh, perhaps yeah. relating to <laughs> could could but be yeah. all right all right yeah. uh listen we are going to play one more song and then we're going to come back and sign off but let's let's squeeze one more in here before the before it's done k-doug can you play new ocean waves please sweet this one's about the show off gallery in bellingham washington the old allegiance space when you were a hamster? Uh, when I was a hamster, yes. Back in the old, back in the olden days. Uh, <laughs> there it is, yeah. Oh, there it is. Okay. Listen there it is. We'll be back gone. in a second. New Ocean Waves. Well, Alex sat back in 93 when he was hanging out at the gallery. Those new bad things, yeah, they were all the rage. I say those days are gone now Cause we watched that club shut down And the winter came He left that perfect town To find new ocean waves New ocean waves New ocean waves New ocean waves Angela said in 93 When she was living in downtown D.C. Those riot girls, yeah, they were all the craze. I say those days are gone now, cause I watched those bands sell out and the winter came. 
under my feet again I feel so in love with this beach I'm on I feel so in love with that girl again I feel so in love with this place I'm in And squeaky sand under my feet again I feel so in love with this beach I'm on I feel so in love with that boy again I feel so in love with this place I'm in New Ocean All right, that was New Ocean Waves. I want to, um, well, we could talk for a lot longer because there's a whole bunch of stuff I didn't get to, but I will just say, Clyde, thank you so much for taking the time. I think The Stranger was right when they called you a genius and gave you the Genius Award. And, oh, you know, thank you. You know, you, you really are um, inspiring and in how many things you keep your fingers in and kind of like our last show where we talked about not being able to just sit around and, and do nothing. You are, uh, you, you know, you're certainly an epitome of that. So I thank you for joining Doug and I tonight. Really appreciate it. Thanks. I'm so excited to be a part of the Anacortes community and like just be here and spend time here and be part of Guimas and, I'm excited for when we can all hang out again someday. Gosh, no kidding, no kidding. And um, next month, since I don't know if we'll be all able to hang out and you're going to want something to listen to, you can join K-Doug and I as we welcome a um, Tejano group from Mount Vernon called Grupo Leve. And we are really excited to have them. I I think that they... Uh, they're going to bring a new kind of style to our uh, to our show here, and it's going to be a blast to have them. And we're actually going to do a socially distanced live show, and um, so that's going to be a blast. You guys will get uh, a non-Zoom, non-recorded for the first time in six months or so. And uh, finally, I want to say to my, uh, my brother in crime here, K-Doug Cassidy, thank you, my man. I appreciate you so much. Great show. Thanks, All right. We're the next show. We'll see you next month, first Thursday. Adios. <laughs> Said your dad's in jail for sleeping with students. I noticed your mother's never in town. You get all the affection that they never give by getting fucked, drunk, and sleeping around. You got your first tattoo when you turned 13, a stick and poke from a carny, and you lost your virginity. Stealing beers from your brother passed out And leaving town's all you ever talk about Oh, come on It's not so bad now, come on Oh, come on Things aren't so bad now, come on You 
side of town Hold snare drums and acoustic guitar Some stupid fantasy of making out With old records on the stereo When the Sabbath comes on You wear guitar through the solo And tap harmonics on a beat-up SG You got some kids you roll with I call bad company Oh, come on Thanks for listening to the next show. Want to hear more interviews and music from Anacortis musicians? Check out anacortismusicproject.org slash podcasts. That's anacortismusicproject.org slash podcasts. Or find us wherever you get your podcasts. This has been Anacortis Music Project, amplifying the music and musicians we love.